Hi, I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health, fitness, and well-being space to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. Welcome to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. My guest this week is Kate Cook. Kate is a corporate wellness expert. She's a nutritional therapist. She's founder of the Nutrition Coach Clinic in Harley Street, London. And she's delivered corporate wellness programs to some huge organizations such as Time Warner, Prudential, the Royal Bank of Scotland, the Bank of England. And she's actually delivered talks and seminars to thousands of people all over the country. She's the author of seven books, as I've just discovered. And the seventh one is one that I've read very recently. It's Positive Nutrition, Strategic Eating to Upgrade Your Health and Energy. And it's published by Lid Publishing and it's out now. And Kate, we'll talk about all the places that people can get the book when we've talked about it. But firstly, big welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is such a privilege, actually. I have a network, actually, of nutritionists and I'm usually interviewing the people. So it's really nice to be interviewed. So thank you, Leanne. Yeah, no, I bet it is to be the other side of the mic. Yeah. Okay, let's get straight into the book. And actually, there's a quote that I'd love to start with, which is this, taken from your book. It is a truth universally unacknowledged that most people don't actually make the connection between what they eat and how they feel. And that's obviously something that you've put into your book. But let's use that as a sort of starting point. That's obviously one of your philosophies. But what other principles do you have regarding diet and nutrition and what's informed your thinking? How did you get to where you are today, in, in essence? Gosh, that's a sort of big thing, really. I mean, I started off 20 years ago in nutrition, in nutritional therapy specifically. And in those days, we were really quite, I mean, a minority. I mean, there were very few nutritional therapists. There were about 235 nutritional therapists in the country, certificate or whatever, by BANT, which is the British Association for Nutritional Therapy. Mm-hmm. So in those days, we hadn't formed this, what has now become the functional medicine model of nutrition, which I'll go into in a second. But it's kind of like that has really developed over these last 20 years. So getting back to the root cause of health problems by looking really at doing biochemical testing often. So it's kind of in our clinical work, there's quite a lot of detail. So the patient work that nutritional therapists do. And I thought it was just a really exciting new field 20 years ago. Mm. And I'm still really excited by it today because I think many people probably feel that the medical model is not exactly flawed, but it kind of has its limitations. So it's very helpful for accidents, very helpful for infection, very helpful for a number of other (laughs) diseases, obviously, and very helpful for diagnostics. But actually, when it comes to things like diabetes or longer-term conditions that are chronic health conditions, you know, it's actually the normal model is quite challenged nowadays. And so I think people have in these 20 years kind of wanted to take their health into their own hands a bit more. And obviously, nutrition is a huge foundation of how we can do that. Mm. I can't remember what else you are. So I came to it really because my parents, my, especially my stepmother, actually was a huge cook. I mean, not a huge cook in the sense, but she was a cook because I'm a cook. <laughs> but anyway, she was a big cook, meaning she loved to cook, grew everything in the garden. I mean, I grew up with all of that and loved to just sit 
by the Aga and learn from her and how to cook. And so I suppose I come from a foodie base, which I love fresh food. I love how it's produced. I'm really curious about how it's produced. I saw it actually initially as a bit of a self-help tool. Really doesn't sound like it probably sounds like I needed help, but I, I don't think I really did. But it's about that potential. I really felt that food gave you this kind of competitive edge, if you like. Mm. Like I'm not really very competitive in that sense, but it's kind of like about seeing out your potential, which can get so squandered if you feel knackered and less than optimal. You know, what if you just didn't have to worry about that and just had all the energy you needed? And then you can just change the world like that. Yeah. And that's really how I started is that kind of like I mean, lots of nutritionists come to nutrition because they were sick in some way. I don't think I was. People might disagree with that. But I, I think I was pretty normal. But I just had this passion for making sure that I didn't squander my potential, you know, in the sense of giving life all it's got. And you need good energy for that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I really like that idea, actually, of food being a competitive edge. And I think and you definitely talk about this in the book, we need to get to that way of thinking where there's lots of things that can give us a competitive edge or just give us the energy that we need to do everything we want to do in life. But seeing food as a way of doing that. Well, absolutely. Yeah, it's massive. I think in a non-selfish way, I mean, if you, if you see what I mean, I think food has become, again, in these 20 years, I suppose, it's become very tribal so people have gone off into being paleo people or vegan people or and it sort of is very exclusive, meaning I don't know, if you're a vegan you probably think that anybody who eats meat has got it all wrong. And if you're a paleo person you probably think that ketogenic people have got it all wrong and mm-hmm. and actually in this that sense, that extra performance edge is kind of quite a not a selfish thing, but it's kind of like I always imagine Gollum gobbling fish in a ke- you know in his little den, you know, sort of like oh, yeah, I'm all right, I'm all right, it's, you know, and, <laughs> and stuff everybody else. It doesn't matter what anybody else is doing because I am going to get to the top and I'm going to feel great, but all you rest of you people won't feel great. So I don't mean it in that competitive edge sort of way. I just think I mean it also in a way that you know you people reach their full potential so that. They're able with that energy and potential to actually Mm. kind of look down the ladder, extend a hand and help other people up to somewhere where they achieve their potential as well. I know that seems a bit esoteric probably, but it's kind of like a vision for sort of just making sure that you protect your energy, but also share it. It's not about Mm. keeping it to yourself. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And a lot of people listening to this will be busy professionals, people probably juggling a number of different things, whether it's their own energy, that of dependence, older or younger, the demands, the convergent pressures of work and home that often squeeze out the bandwidth people have for health. Yeah. I think understanding that nutrition can also make you better for the other people around you. I mean, it's definitely something when I'm coaching people that we're challenged with trying to get them to make the connection between if you prioritize yourself and put good stuff into your body, you are going to be better able to serve and be there for and inspire and role model other members of your family and the people around you or your team members at work, whatever it may be. Well, I think that's absolutely true. And I do think nutrition, I think a little bit like the sleep gig, you know, which people think is slightly optional. It's kind Mm -hmm. of like sleep has become this kind of thing we might hack to say, right, well, if you're dead, you don't need to sleep. So let's just nibble a few hours here so I can get more done. And I think it goes right back actually to how we're working isn't working, actually, which yeah. is a book by 
somebody called Schwartz, famous now for writing, ghostwriting Trump's book on Art of the Deal, which he's got. (laughs) This bloke got around going, I didn't write it, honestly, I didn't mean to. But anyway, (laughs) whatever. So, yes. But anyway, he's written a book which is called The Way We're Working Isn't Working. And I think in that we nibble sleep, we nibble nutrition, if you excuse the pun, in that we just, you know, it becomes very functional. And even if you are a ketogenic person or, or don't worry if you don't know what these things are, by the way, but if you're a paleo person and you're eating, kind of trying to eat like ancient ancestors, often the quality of that gets, in other words, you can go to the supermarket, get a chicken breast or get a piece of beef and be a paleo man. But it's actually looking at the detail of where that meat came from, not for it just to achieve a function of like optimum energy, but it's also about sort of the time it takes to nurture everybody else around you. Do you see what I mean? Mm. Because otherwise it can be, well, mum's a keto person, dad's a paleo person and the kids are vegan, you know, and Mm. actually people can very much be eating at the kitchen counter doing radically different things. Whereas actually we need to unify how we eat much more sensibly and and much more kind of like, I suppose, instinctively and get back to a few basic truths. I think I said in the book that nutritional medicine and nutritional science is obviously really key. And there's been some absolutely amazing progression in obviously in nutritional science, but nutritional science can sometimes get it so wrong that we get carried away on a track And actually, the track can be just wrong. Like, for example, the fat vibe, which was... Which I want to come back to, actually, and talk about. Yeah, which was kind of... Science was false. So sometimes it's less about listening to the experts, more about sort of thinking what are the basics and what makes sense, actually. Mm. I want to come back to the work of Ansel Keys and, and everything he did for fat, which we're still shrugging off and trying to... And shackle ourselves from. But I believe, I sense from your book that you also believe in personalization to a degree, particularly when you talk about genetics, which is obviously highly personal. Yes. Personalization is, I think, a very important concept with regards to eating. Could you explain? I, I know what you mean by the paleo. So ancestral eating, basically. Ketogenic is a very, very much a fat-based diet. But what are your thoughts on those diets? You know, do you think it's fatty or do you think actually there's real merit in people eating these specific types of diets? I guess it depends on what their goals are. But what are your sort of high-level thoughts? Well, I think, I mean, as I say, I think there's two things, which is I think sometimes those diets miss the point, meaning about food and food production and where it's coming from. And it can be quite a sort of lonely, I mean, lonely in the sense you might have a tribe out there who are all these ketogenic the same way as you, maybe on the internet or wherever. So you do have a tribe there. But it can be that you have isolation individually within your family or it becomes fatty in the sense that you can't go out to a restaurant to eat with your friends and it becomes something that leads you by the nose as opposed to it being flexible and there are certain bits of different philosophies that I follow you know so it's just not eating so much obviously not eating probably any in my case white fluffy carbohydrates sort of what I call Mm. sweet fluffy and white stuff so the the industrialized diet is really a big killer. Yeah. So I do think there's definitely merit to these things. And of course, if you've read 
There's a brilliant book, which is called Tripping Over the Truth, which is by, do you know that book? I do, yeah. By Travis Christofferson, which is all about the ketogenic and how it's much more to do with therapeutic diets in terms of cancer and all of those modalities. So it's quite technical. There's a guy called Siegfried, who again is kind of highlighted cancer might be a metabolic disease as opposed to a genetic disease. So there is absolute value in all of these things. I just think sometimes we become a bit paranoid. I mean, ordinary people become a bit paranoid about eating. It's the sort of most fundamental thing. And most of us go to the supermarket, pick up stuff. Maybe it meets these individual diets or maybe it doesn't. But what's missing really is that connection. You know, food is very much about celebration connection. It's about community. It's about all sorts of other things besides it just being about the molecules. So Mm. I think we've all got to watch how it doesn't become some kind of almost religious philosophy that Mm. you can't accept other ideas or you can't accept other ways that you may think is radically wrong. I mean, for example, with veganism, you know, it's a very worthy cause. Hats off to anybody who takes that stand from an ethical point of view. But, you know, actually, when you look at it, it could be that you're still using unethical farming methods by using a lot of irrigation, um, plowing the topsoil, and you're still getting soil degradation. And you know, it's quite expensive, obviously, to grow vegetables and then ship them. So, Mm. you know, actually, it's not as clear cut often, you know, it seems obviously CAFO animals, which is confined animal feeding operations, as they call them in America. Nobody thinks that is a good idea where they cage animals up and they cut their beaks off and whatever else horrible Mm -hmm. things they do. And there's huge environmental impact in North Carolina when the storm hit and all these pigs escaped and all the manure escaped. You know, that's an absolute huge issue. And if people want to eat more vegetables to not support that system, I completely get that. But on the other hand, it's sometimes a little bit more complex. And what people don't do is look from that bird's eye view much more holistically at the whole picture. We tend to, as humans, focus on a few little aspects and details which we can grasp quickly and do something about. And I think that's totally human nature. You know, Mm. it might be like, oh, my God, vitamin D is really good for you. Fabulous. Let's just all take masses of vitamin D. It's probably just you have to look at vitamin D in terms of magnesium, in terms of vitamin K2. And so I think that's the issue that these diets absolutely, you know, they're eating actually food as opposed to processed food, which is a plus. You've got to ask why you're doing the particular regime and sometimes you need to and sometimes it's really worthy to do that I just think it's a bit more needs to be a little bit more holistic how we look at food and nutrition generally yeah okay let's move on there's a chapter in the book which talks about the relationship between food and genetics and epigenetics yes so genetics obviously is our DNA it's how we're built epigenetics is the effect of the environment on those genes, just to clarify those terms. Talk a bit more about that, that wonderful sort of interplay between those three things. Well, I think this is how, as nutrition, so obviously there's two things here to emphasize. One is really general eating and a wider picture. And then this particular discussion is about our 
you know, as nutritional therapists or functional medicine practitioners, is the more detailed work of when somebody might be sick, you know, or need help, and how we can really pinpoint diet and maybe supplemental nutrients because of people's genetics. So, what it can highlight, for example, is faulty detoxification pathways. So, you have things called SNPs on the genes, which means they're basically, they've become adapted over time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the SNPs can be quite positive and sometimes they can be a little bit negative. So it's sometimes, for example, for me, I've done these genetic tests because I'm obviously a nutritionist, curious as hell. And for me, I don't detoxify as well as the next man. So it means that you may be more susceptible to various conditions, like, for example, breast cancer. Mm-hmm. In my case, I mean, you know, I've never had breast, breast cancer, but, you know, it's kind of like, actually, if you're not detoxifying well, then you may be more susceptible. So people fear these tests, actually, because they're saying, oh, well, I don't want to do these tests because it's told me I'm going to get breast cancer. It hasn't told you that. What it's told you is, look, probably drinking 50 billion tons of vino and, I don't know, smoking is probably not good for your particular genetics. Mm. So that's how you can influence those outcomes by the environment in effect you put yourself in, if that makes sense. Yeah, I've done, I've done those tests actually. Yeah, did you do the 23andMe or something else? Yeah, I've done 23andMe and DNA Fit as well. Right. We use DNA Fit part of the packages that we offer because we think it takes away a little bit of guesswork about an individual and how they should structure their diet or personalise their diet. Yeah, absolutely. And their exercise to a degree. It's another guide. It's not hard and fast. I've done 23andMe and we thought about including that as well because it does give some valuable information taken in context. However, we haven't. Yes. We know that if, for example, you want to mitigate the risk of Alzheimer's, we need to move, we need to eat well, we need to sleep well. Yes. And knowing that, why not, why not just crack on and do it? Well, it's, obviously, you've got the APO4 gene. Yep. Which, by the way, there was a mistake in the book. That's the one. That's it, folks. If you spot it, it's it's it's, it's um, misprinted as something else. But anyway, it is um, APO4. Yeah, so it's missing the E, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's missing an E. Oh, so annoying. But I mean, that's probably more to do with me than them. <laughs> People will forgive you. Yeah. So anyway, you don't need to be you know detailed to notice that. But uh, yeah. anyway. Yeah, so that's interesting new work by Dale Bredesen from the Buck Institute, who's looking at, you know, various hodgepodge of different lifestyle interventions that can turn back very early dementia in terms of looking at your genetics. And then, you know, it's basically the story is, sorry, for, for folks listening at home, is that if you have two copies of this particular gene that we've just mentioned, then you are, I think it's 94% likely to develop dementia. But if you have, you know, that isn't a death sentence or isn't a a poor outcome, because what you need to do is realize that those genetics were protective in the old days when we were apes just newly down from the trees because it's an inflammatory snip, it's an inflammatory marker. Mm-hmm. So it would have been good in the old days. You let down from the trees, cut your feet, and then, of course, you'd have this inflammation to rush to the site of inj- injury and repair it. But obviously not so useful for 21st century man. And then we do a lot of things in our lifestyle that could be inflammatory, like 
have a sedentary lifestyle, eat sort of inflammatory foods, which are things like excessive grains in the diet and obviously rubbish food and drinking and all the things we probably know a little bit about. So, but if you know what supplements like fish oils, which are anti-inflammatory and you're taking care obviously of your microbiome, which is your friendly bacteria and you're exercising and all these things that, you know, we probably know everybody should do, but particularly those people with this double genetic kind of outcome, then, you know, these things are preventable. And I think that is the magic in all of these sort of more detailed genetic testing that actually you can almost give a prescription to say, okay, well, let's look at the detail now of how we can really influence this. Yeah, it's interesting. So for the DNA Fit Report, so my report, it says that I am a, confusingly, it says I've got a fast detox ability. What it actually means is that I take on board and don't process toxins very well. I take them on board well. I don't process them very well. So I'm encouraged to eat more antioxidants. So vitamins A, C, E, dark leafy greens and so on, you know, better than I. And cruciferous vegetables as well. So that's interesting. You know, it's, I think the testing can really reveal things about you that you cannot know otherwise. Absolutely. And I, as I say, because I'm a nutritionist, I've done it. I think it's interesting because obviously you who've, who've looked into this detail and me who've looked into this detail, and I think in the book I refer to this really, which is, you know, in the book I talk about kind of looking at the base camp advice and then a yep. sort of camp one and then the summit, which is, oh, I'm not saying we're at the summit, but you know what I mean. We're sort of like upgraded and thinking, that's curious, let's do these kind of fancy-dancy tests. You know, when I go and speak in corporates, I'm always quite surprised, even at quite sophisticated audiences, they're not even set off with their hiking boots on at this point. You know, they're eating mm. crappy breakfast like, you know, Kellogg's Special K. And even if they're, oh, sorry, it's Kellogg's, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Rubbish, processed, crappy stuff, you know, like literally I was in a corporate the other day, they was eating Cocoa Pops. Mm. But surely, you know, that's drugs almost, you know, you must know that. But it's like, yeah, but I'm a bit pushed for time and then I need to get out the door and that's what the kids are eating. And yeah. uh, everybody's in a bit of a rush and I need to get on sort of thing. And it's kind of like, even if they know that, it's kind of like, yeah, 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 but I really don't have time. Yeah. So I do think there's different entry levels into this. Yeah, I, I think in fairness to people, what the, because as I know, I only came to this sort of area six and a bit years ago. And before that, I was eating MS ready meals thinking they were good because it was MS. And I was doing my best. Well, I wasn't doing my best. I thought I was making some good choices some of the time because packaging is very clever. You know, you can put a red tractor on the front and organic, and it's easy to conceal. Yeah. You know, what's in this stuff. So I do. It's a deception, actually. Yeah. I do feel for people a bit because. Oh, no, I feel for them a lot, absolutely. That's not a criticism, actually. It's a kind of despairing voice Mm. saying, actually, you know, the audience can be quite sophisticated. But the big, big problem is nutrition is a four letter word, you know, and and it's obviously Mm. it's time. And if you've got the nice people at MS or wherever, saying, listen, we sorted it for you. And it looks like you look at the packet and think, well, that seems to be Farmer Giles on the cover. He looks like a nice bloke. I'm sure he's not going to deceive me to whatever. Mm. It is in um, food technology. It's all about sort of dress. It's like a theater performance. So it's dressing the food to make it tempting for people to buy. And it's really good. 
you know, it's a massively good show. I mean, I don't know if they do it anymore, but Marks and Spencer's, I know, used to inject milk into chicken breasts to make them moist and to make them... I'm sure they don't do any that anymore because of the allergy thing, but it's mm. it's actually wow. You know, wow. I mean, yes, it does make it moist and it does make it white, which is what they were trying to do with food technology. And then you taste it, and it's got all sorts of nice salty bits on the skin, and it tastes really convincing. Yeah. And so, even if you're trying to buy real food and thinking, well, how can I really go wrong with a chicken? I mean, I think the deception is so widespread. And I don't think they're setting out to deceive. I just think they're setting out to solve a problem. And that's what we humans do. Mm. You know, we just go, fab, somebody sorted it for us. That's absolutely amazing. So we don't have to. Well, they don't have our health as their priority, do they? They have revenue, quarterly earnings and shareholders to keep happy. And that's the motivation. For all of those supermarkets, and yeah. not to isolate any one of them. And I think you mentioned it in the book. Their goal is not really to look after us, it's to sell product, it's to get stuff off shelves. Yeah. And I think it is really wholly confusing. And I, I have, yeah. you know, again, been in, in corporates with, I mean, again, not to single out Marks and Spencer particularly, but they have obviously their Lock Muir salmon. And I say to people, where is Lock Muir? And everybody's, oh, so there's a prize in it, you know, you can win something. And people go, uh, Scotland, is it near? Where a Ben Nevis, you know, the says, no, it's a trademark. If you look at it, it says TM, you know, it's a trademark. It's just somewhere they've invented. So it's very good. Yeah, it's canny. It's deceptive, really, in a way. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, www.bodyshotsperformance.com and click on Take the Test. It'll take you through to a short two to three minute test. And at the end of that, you'll get a scorecard and a free 39 page report based on our six signals. Sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion and fitness. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please think of someone who could really benefit from the content and hit that share button and send it across to them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you very much for listening.